story brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your host, Johnny T, and today my guest is Reverend Dr. David Chotka. He's the founder and director of Spirit Equipped Ministries, a trans-denominational equipping ministry focused on developing spiritual disciplines. He's dedicated to working with every stream of the Lord's Church to deepen ministries of prayer, intercession, and developing prayer equipping resources. Pastor Dave, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Johnny. It's great to be here. It's awesome to have you here. Man after my own heart. I'm a huge believer in prayer. Well, actually, so was Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah, he, we had a good uh, teacher, that's for sure. You know, it's, it's interesting when I talk to people who are in the ministry, that's like a lifelong journey type of event that kind of leads you into that. So maybe you could kind of unpack your journey of faith and what led you into that aspect of God's work. Well, actually, I was the first Christian in my home, and I had not a sweet clue about how to read the scripture. And I kind of knew that I needed to learn. And so I found myself reading the Bible, keeping my nose out of it. People would try to tell me how to pray, but I didn't know how. And eventually, actually, the, the, the co-author of the new book that I've written wrote a book called The Workbook of Living Prayer. And that book helps people learn how to pray one small step at a time. It was such a simple book to use. It would have a daily reflection, one piece of scripture in italics. So if somebody was new to the Bible and didn't know what to do, they could read the scripture without having to sort through pages. Mm -hmm. A little bit of teaching, a little bit of reflecting and recording. And by the time you get to week four or five of that resource, it's seven days a week, you actually discovered that you had a pattern of prayer. And it was so helpful and so amazing and so astonishing. Now, my conversion was dramatic. I came to faith in Christ when a demon was cast out of me when I was 16 years old. In my first breathing second as a Christ follower was watching an unclean spirit fly out of my body and having an enormous vision of light as this light surrounded me and then the light came inside. Wow. So it became very clear that the power of Jesus was greater than the powers of dark. And so that began the journey and it convinced me that it was supernatural in nature. And I discovered that consolation would come when I would pray. Sometimes I would get quick answers. Sometimes the answers would be slow and steady. Sometimes there's holy mystery. But I did learn very quickly that the power of Christ attends the believer when he or she cries out to God in prayer. Amen. So, so much truth in that. I, I can just feel the excitement in my heart just bubbling over here, talking about that incredible birth and passion in your heart. It's exciting to see. And it, it kind of makes me chuckle because people that are listening to this that don't know God, they're going to say, these guys are insane. Like, what are they talking about? <laughs> they're excited about praying. Like, give me a break. Well, it's true. So now, actually, I should tell you the first time I really prayed, it goes way back to before I was a Christian. So here's what happened. I went to St. Catherine's Collegiate in St. Catherine's, Ontario, and I belonged to the Drama Guild, and um, I, so did my older brother. And a bunch of people in the Drama Guild met the Lord, and I started talking to them. Of course, they'd been in my home, and I'd been in their home, et cetera, et cetera. So we knew each other. And some of them made what I call minor changes, but there were a few spectacular changes. And they started talking to me about the scripture. And I remembered when I was in school, there, there was a memory that came to me about reading a book. And I picked up this book and it basically said that I should memorize scripture to substitute negative thoughts for positive scripture. And I remember I was doing that and trying to figure out something when I was in a low spot. And I decided that I was going to read the Bible. I don't know why I made the decision, but there was no Bible in my house. We didn't have one, but my parents ran a restaurant, had five apartments. And somebody had left an old cloth bound King James Bible in a drawer in the apartment. And so this little Bible was in our house, but nobody wanted to even bother looking. And I remember thinking to myself, I should try and 
read this thing. And I opened it up and I was a reader of Shakespeare. So I knew about Victorian language, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that there was a book in there called Timothy, two of them. And there was another book called Luke. Now, my older brother's name is Timothy, and I had a buddy named Luke. And so I thought that was kind of fun. <laughs> and I, I put it beside my bed, and I decided that I would try and read this book. And I, I opened up to Luke, and I read story after story after story of Jesus' power to heal. And nobody ever told me that Jesus did those miraculous healing. And while I was reading about Jesus' healing, I got a 24-hour bug. I started to get sick. <laughs> now, it's the craziest thing. I had never prayed before, and I was reading this book from the perspective of somebody who'd read Shakespeare, and I was trying to navigate the language and so on. Mm-hmm. And my parents ran a restaurant, and usually I would go over to the restaurant and start to do chores, but I was not well. I let them know I couldn't come. And I lie down in my bed next to, you know, with the bed, with the bedstand next to my bed. I lay down in the bed, and I thought to myself, this is crazy. I'm reading a holy book about people getting better, and I'm getting sick while I'm reading about people getting better. <laughs> <laughs> and then this this is what happened. I prayed my first ever out loud prayer. I'd never done one. I said, God, this is a mystery to me. And I closed my eyes. And the next thing that happened to me was in block letters, about, about as long as a ruler, you know, and about two inches high, I saw the words Timothy 3.16. And they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And they expanded to cover my whole field of vision. And then I opened my eyes and it was gone. And then I remembered that that Bible had a book called Timothy, because that's my brother's name. I reached over and I found it with the page finder kind of thing, the, you know, the, the index. And I found 1 Timothy 3.16, and it said that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And I had just said, this is a mystery to me. And I realized the first prayer I ever prayed, I was given an immediate answer. Now, I didn't know the Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. So after I got up past the bug, I went back to the high school, you know, and I wound up talking to a couple of those Christians from the Drama Guild who'd now become believers. And they told me I should look up 2 Timothy 3.16. And of course, it was about the power of Scripture. I mean, so the very first experience I ever had of prayer, the very first one, was of me getting a word to answer my question, and secondly, directed to read the Scripture. And that was my first prayer. And so, of course, what does this do for you? It draws you into the conviction that prayer has power. Prayer has been. But it's, it's ironic that it was about prayer for healing when I was getting sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's ironic that our interview here was scheduled and you're feeling a little bit under the weather and I have a sore throat that just started today. No word of a lie. Yeah. And like, I, like I told you before the interview, the enemy never sleeps. Like he does not want us to have this conversation and people to hear us. Absolutely. And I think it's so encouraging because people that don't know God or maybe have never cried out to God for anything, they may think that he's some distant being that he really doesn't care about the small subtle thing that they may be going through or an issue that they have or whether it's for healing or whatever it might be and that just shows that he knows us intimately he knows exactly what it's going to take to propel that mustard seed of faith in our hearts absolutely right and of course the scripture says that counts the hairs on our head now he doesn't have to count too long with me (laughs) (laughs) well you know what I'm losing mine too. And, and that's how I know God's a mathematician because he knows the number of hairs on my head. He's subtracting every day. Yes. He, they're, they're, yeah. He's got to keep doing the math with me too. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you've written a, a few books and, and uh, about prayer and about healing and stuff like that. But you also have your own testimony of healing and your wife as well, correct? Yes, that's quite, cr- that's quite correct. And I have a medical note for both of them. So in, in both cases, I have the medical verification of before and after. I have two remarkable stories. My wife's is the most dramatic one. She was healed of muscular dystrophy. 
Now that's genetic transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way it happened was my church, which was in those days, I was serving as a pastor just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, in a city called Spruce Grove. We had teams of people who were going to North Uganda to help them rebuild after the awful experience of going through you know, desolation with that madman, Joseph Kony and Edie and those mm-hmm. two in combination. So somehow or other, I got connected to an organizing bishop who is trying to get pastors educated. Now, just for the record, if you could read, you'd become the local teacher or you'd become the local pastor or something because there had been no education, no system, nothing. And so we made this decision to help that part rebuild. And, and my congregation sent me to teach and sent teams of people to build infrastructure while we were there. And we would do evangelism or we would do basic health stuff, that kind of thing. At any rate, the church wanted to hear this fellow who would organize it. And he had actually managed to, to work cross-denominationally. He had, you know, Presbyterians and Baptists and Pentecostals and Methodists. He even had Roman Catholics and Anglicans all coming together to get an education. And in fact, I wrote my first book on prayer so that I could give it to them. So that book is called Power Praying. And I, I wrote that so that I could put it in their hands as an educational manual, to train them in the stuff that I was trying to teach them. So we brought the organizing bishop into my church. And I don't know if you know some of the stories behind that. But this madman, Kony, was doing horrible atrocities all through uh, Uganda and into Kenya and so on, into Democratic Republic of Congo. And so I met people who had their arms cut off and their tongues cut off and their noses cut off. People who had been violated. Oh, I, I don't want to tell the stories on, on ordinary radio because they're appalling. But I met some of those people. What I found out in the history was that four pastors from Uganda went to see the prime minister of the country. His wife was a born-again believer, and they were ushered into his presence. They wanted to organize prayer for the army to stop Joseph Kony. And so this whole thing began with the four of them going to a high place on a mountain, breaking the power of witchcraft that was on top of that mountain, Mm -hmm. and then organizing, get this, 300,000 intercessors to pray every single time the Ugandan army was fighting against Joseph Kony. So now, listen, I met people from that crowd. I did. In fact, I was just preaching in Vancouver last year. I told the story, and a man put his hand up, and he said, I am from Uganda. I was in the 300,000. We would light candles and pray for the army when they were going against Joseph Tony. And every time the intercessors prayed, Tony would lose. Hmm. Every time the intercessors did not know there was a battle, Tony would win, and he'd resupply. So this amazing story was being told in my church. Of course, everybody's sitting on the edge of their seats because they want to hear the story. And the church is overpacked. So we had three services in a week. There was a Saturday night, which was poorly attended, but, you know, people would come because it was easy. We had a Sunday morning at 9.15 and we had an 11 o'clock. And the Saturday nighters were so moved by the stories, they texted their friends to come the next day and they showed up. So the 9 o'clock was over. The 9 o'clock people texted their friends and the 11 o'clock was jammed. I mean, absolutely jammed. The sanctuary sat about 400 and there were 650 people in place. I had to sit on the steps to the platform. My wife had to be close to the front. People were lined along the walls. They were sitting in the aisles. There was an overflow section in the back. They were broadcast. And this bishop was preaching about somebody's life being spared as, the, as somebody else was praying. It was one of those amazing stories. Mm. And as he's telling the story and about to come to the climax of the story, he stopped and he looked down at me and he said, David, what is M.A.? I thought, M.A.? Master of Arts? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, I've got something wrong. Now, my wife had FSH muscular dystrophy, which means that it was a plateau decline disease. She had not been able to raise her arms above her shoulders for more than 20. And the thrust of this, so she was losing muscle mass. She was losing the ability to be able to stand. She'd been in chronic pain. Her shoulder blades were out of position. Her face had sagged. The muscles weren't working the way they were supposed to. And her mother died in a wheelchair. It was a very, very sad thing. 
I'm watching my wife who is sitting two rows from the front as I'm sitting on the seat looking out at the <laughs> congregation with the preacher beside me. And then after about 60 seconds, he looks up and he says, it's a wasting muscle disease. It starts in your face and it goes down into your neck and into your back. Your shoulders get out of position. You're in a chronic pain from the time you're 16 or 17. And it's a plateau decline disease. And he gave a perfect medical description mm. of my wife's affliction. And then he said this, whoever has this affliction, Jesus has just healed you. And while I was looking at my wife, her arms went above her head for the first time in more than 20. Wow. Two weeks later, she ran up the stairs to discipline my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> she had not done that in a decade. It was the most remarkable, astonishing thing. Our medical doctor waited to write the letter because he wanted to see if it was placebo effect or if it was, you know, adrenaline sure, or something. Yeah. But he wrote it. So he waited three years. And at the end of three years, he said, all effects of muscular dystrophy have vanished from this spot. And he knew us for four years before. And so it was because of this man standing in the pulpit, praying to the Lord about what he was supposed to say, that this moment came in the middle of the service and the Lord healed. You got to know something. I used to have to pick her up to get her into the shower so that she could be limber enough to be able to move around. Mm -hmm. The next day, she jumped out of bed, went into the shower all by herself. It was the most remarkable, astonishing thing. And we are mm -hmm. still living in the effects. Of it. The power of the Lord to heal is profound. It mm -hmm. is profound. Now, the interesting thing was we had stopped praying because we saw no transformation. In it. And we made a decision. And this is an important prayer principle. You don't seek the healing. You seek the healer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as you seek the healer, the Lord releases whatever he wants to bring in the life of the person who is crying out. And that principle has stood by us over many, many, many years. It's a very helpful principle. Yeah, the word says, seek you first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. It does say that. Yes, yes, it does. So that incident, you got to know this. Now, I, I must tell you something else. When that happened to my wife, everybody in the church knew it. We'd been there at that point four and a half years and a number of people walked up and said, we're so happy for you. The following year, we went back to Uganda to teach. And my wife came with me on that trip. Of course, what we do is we teach during the weeks of the pastors and leaders. And then each of the people on the team would be assigned to a church and testify or preach. And we told the story to the African. And every single one of them got up and started to dance their prayers and shout hallelujahs. And then they said this, the Lord has visited your church so that you can share the gospel. Now, in Canada, people walked up and said, we're happy for you. In Africa, they said, God has given a gift to your congregation. Mm -hmm. Now, that night, we did our devotions. We were in Luke 7. It was the story of Jesus raising the widow of Nain's son from the dead. And if you read the story, we don't know her name. We don't know the name of the boy. What we know is that everybody stood up and said, a great miracle has happened. A great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. Mm -hmm. The accent of the miracle in response to the prayers of God's people is that the Lord gives the gift to the community that knows, them, not just to the person who receives. Mm, amen. So it can be a platform for the proclamation. That understanding, tribal society Africa understood that better than my Canadian. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. The Western culture in North America, we struggle a lot with the miraculous and seeing those kinds of things. And many other places in the world, Africa and other places, see it on a regular basis. Well, I've seen a lot of miracles here in Canada. So a couple of weeks ago, I went to Barrie to interview somebody who belonged to my church some years ago. She's now a radio broadcaster in Barrie at 100.3 FM Life Radio. Oh, Life Radio, yeah. Yeah, she, she's on there. She's surely in the morning broadcast. 
Jesus healed her over a Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> so, you know, during COVID, we couldn't meet, right? We, we were all in this terrible place. We couldn't meet. And so I was teaching Zoom classes and people who knew me in the past would come on board. And I was writing this book on healing prayer. And my practice is to write and then to test run the teaching with a group of people. And she was on that group. But here's what happened. And on the Zoom screen, it's the almost in person. You can see each other's face. That's right. Yeah. But she was always dropping out. Anyway, so eventually I said, Shirley, what's going on? And I did not know this until she said this to me about three weeks ago. I just got the interview and put it on my YouTube channel. She had had no ability to be able to walk. She was bed fast for three months. Mm-hmm. And being able to go from her bed to the bathroom took her about an hour. And she would have to crawl along the floor to get to the bathroom to be able to go to get back to her bed. And she was had such terrific pain from extreme sciatica and a bulging disc. And she was on this Zoom call because none of us could leave. We were not in a position to be able to travel anywhere. You know what the restrictions were in Canada. Ten people in any building, mm-hmm. whether it was an mm-hmm. insurance building or a church building or a medical building, ten people max. That's all you have. Mm-hmm. So we were doing this stuff over on online. And here's what happened. I said, Shirley, what's going on? She finally dropped the screen a little bit. She looked at us. She said, my lower part of my body has not functioned well for fully three months. I'm, not, I'm hardly able to walk. I've got a bulging disc on my back. I have extreme sight. And I'm unable to work. I don't have any money. I'm in a very big bed. And suddenly, power of the Lord lands on people in the Zoom screen. And I had this profound sense that she was going to get well. And there was another lady on the call named Wendy. And Wendy said, Pastor David, we're supposed to pray for Shirley. And I said, Shirley, would you allow us to pray for you? She said, oh, please. And I, you know, I have to just tell you the sake. You start to pray, and if the assignment has come for prayer for healing, presence rises inside of you. Compassion for the person you're praying for becomes focused. Suddenly, you get a gift of faith to believe that God's glory is at stake, and then you become washed over in righteousness and peace and joy, and it grows larger and larger. And as you pray out of that, power gets attached to your word. Now, I wasn't expecting to do this, but and, and neither was Wendy, and there were six or seven other people on the Zoom call. Four of them began to sense this very same thing that I just described. And at some moment in that conversation, I said, surely in the name of Jesus, stand up and touch your toes. And she jumped up, bent down, touched her toes, and she was instantly healed over a Zoom call. <laughs> Praise and God. I, I know. So I got to ask her what happened inside of her when that was taking place. And she described how in the middle of this, suddenly she became aware that she had a gift of faith to believe that the Lord wanted her well, even while I was saying this. And she knew that she had to obey because it wasn't just us saying, oh, by the way, you better do this. She sensed the command of the Lord in the middle of the command given to her. And there was fiery heat that coursed through her body and a faith conviction. And she stood up and then she bent over. Something went snap and she has been completely well. For the three years since then, and now she is a Christian radio broadcaster at <laughs> 100 in Barry for the morning show. That's her. And yeah, so that's she awesome. just testified to that on her own program. So it's, I'm not telling tales out of school. But it happened in the middle of us attempting to understand how prayer for healing works. It was a very interesting teaching in Luke. So if you look at Luke 5 and you go to verse 15, it talks about thousands and thousands of people coming because Jesus was healed. Now, I'll just tell you this. I've been a pastor for years. If anything grows in your church, your elders or your leaders, whoever they are, will always say, let's do more of it. (laughs) (laughs) They don't even pray. They just say, let's got a Sunday school class growing, add another Sunday school class. Your church service is growing, add another another church service. Your outreach is growing, add another outreach team. You know, they just do that. So if you look at Luke 5.15, it says that he was attracting thousands with his prayer for healing. And in 5.16, it says that he would go off by himself alone. 
he didn't just arbitrarily add another service. He deepened his devotion. Mm -hmm. Then in 517, it describes the sequence. In 517, it said that there were a bunch of people who were gathered around who'd come from other nations. And I don't know if you thought about this. When I want to drive to where you are, I get in the car and drive. I might be a couple hours, but I'll get. Those guys had to get a beast bird. They had to get feet. They had to get water. They had to get protection. They had to travel in group. And if somebody would come from, in our, our case, 50, 60 miles, or you know, 100 kilometers, whatever number you want to use, they would have to go over land with the beast of burden, and they'd have to have whatever they could do to care for the person who was like, I mean, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. So this is paralyzed man in Luke 5, 17. And it says that they came from all the villages. They came from other countries. They came from across the Jordan. They came from here inside. They came because they wanted to be present to the prayer for healing ministry of Jesus. And there's a phrase. The phrase says this. And the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to perform healing. Now think about that phrase. <laughs> mm -hmm. Most Christians assume that because he was God, he could do it at will. John's gospel doesn't say that. It says, I can do nothing unless the Father shows. Mm -hmm. The phrase I use to describe this is God initiate and we respond. And when we, ha we have to learn to pay attention to the signals of God's presence landing so that we can pray into the things that God is asking us to be doing. Mm -hmm. Now, Luke admits how the gospel was written. I'm just, I'm giving this for a reason. So in the first couple of verses of Luke, he admits, number one, he wasn't an eyewitness. But number two, he talked to some of them and he got other written accounts and he put all of that together after checking out the history and he put together an orderly account of the life of Jesus. That's what he did. That means somebody was in the room watching the power increase over Jesus and landing and told Luke years after it happened. Mm -hmm. It must have been an amazing thing to watch. But underneath this is the prayer principle that was in Jesus' life. And so if he was Jewish, he would spend three set-apart times praying with other people at three set-apart times of the day. And on Shabbat, they prayed four times. And on some of the holy festivals, they'd pray as much as seven times in a day. At Yom Kippur, seven times. I mean, it's a lot of prayer. When it says that Jesus went off by himself to pray, it was over and above the collective group prayer of people who were in a prayer-saturated culture. Judaism, prayer, saturated. And Jesus was more profoundly prayer-saturated than his fellow members of the Jewish nation. They were already God-honoring and, and wanting to obey the precepts of the law of God. That was who they were. They suffered for this. They died. And Jesus was born into that prayer-saturated culture. And from the moment that he received the empowerment of the Spirit, he prayed every time there was a miracle. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets healed till Jesus prayed. He doesn't walk on water till Jesus prayed. The nature miracles happen when Jesus prays. You know, the demons are cast out when Jesus prays. Demands. So the prayer principle is married together with the scripture principle, which is married together with the spirit. And when you are in submission to the movement of the spirit in prayer, the Lord moves through you. And it's an amazing. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, like we've pretty much run out of time. That's... <laughs> So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to quickly ask you where can people find out more about your books and your ministry? Where's the well, best place for them to go? Well, the easiest way is to go to my website, which is www.spirit like in Holy Spirit, equipped like in equipped, spiritequipped.com. But if you want to learn about healing prayer in particular, you can go to any place on Google and write in healing prayer, and my book will come up. It's just published by Whitaker House. 
And it teaches people how to pay attention to the leadings of the Spirit and how to move in the power of the Lord around prayer for healing. And it tells you what to avoid, what to what to say yes to, et cetera, et cetera. So I would, I would commend that, Whitaker House, a healing prayer. It's a co-write with me and Dr. Maxie Dunham, who was the president of Asbury Center. Okay, final question. What's the one thing you would tell people about God? Oh, that his desire to hear us and to give heed to our prayers is even greater than our desire to pray. And I, I can just say this to you, that his longing to answer is more profound than our longing to ask. <laughs> That's what I would say. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute blast talking to you. And I'm going to have to get you back on the podcast again, because we just don't have enough time to talk about all the things we can talk about. I'd love to come back anytime you want me to come. Just hook me up and I'll come. All right. Awesome. Well, God bless you. And, and God bless all that you're doing for God. Thank you. There's water in the well, water in the well, water in the well, so don't run dry. Water in the well, water in the well, water in the well, so don't run dry. There's water in the well, water in the well, water in the well, so don't run dry. Oh, I need you to get me through this day. enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.